the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Today I interviewed Frank LaRose, who's the 51st Secretary of State for the State of Ohio, and we talked about what his office is doing to prepare for the November 2020 elections in Ohio. One of the main things that uh, Secretary LaRose spoke about was the need to recruit volunteer poll workers. Uh, He noted that there are usually 4,000 polling locations in Ohio, and those are staffed by volunteer poll workers that are commissioned by the the local boards of elections in each county. Uh, We need 35,000 poll workers to staff those 4,000 polling locations. And, of course, during a pandemic, this particular pandemic is hitting the elderly the most, and those are our our typical poll workers, are typically elderly. So uh, Secretary of the Rose has a recruiting effort going on to get more poll workers and noted that businesses are voluntarily giving their employees the day off if they will sign up to be poll workers, which I'd like to um, I'd like to encourage all of you who run companies out there in construction consider your giving your people the day off on november 3rd to work the polls so without further ado i give you my interview with secretary of state frank larose hello secretary larose well hey jen how are you i'm good how are you thanks for joining us again and uh i understand you're on your, your way down to cincinnati for an event absolutely uh back out on the road of course uh following all the right social distance protocols and all of that, but good to be good to be heading down to the Queen City and uh, really looking forward to our conversation. Really have valued the work that we've been able to do together over my eight years in the state Senate and the relationship that uh, I've built with uh, with you and your members it means a lot to me. Well, it means a lot to us too. And, and like you said, we, we've known you as a senator for, for eight years. Um, we've always thought a lot of you, um, certainly your background as a, as a service member, and a Northeast Ohioan, and it's been a good relationship uh, in terms of CEA and the whole construction industry, really. Um, well, as, as, as I probably told you, I started off, before I became a Green Beret, I was an Army engineer, and uh, that means that, you know, you're kind of, as an engineer, you're kind of the handyman and, and handy women of the, of the Army, and so uh, we were taught enough construction to be dangerous, as I like to say. So I was taught plumbing, electrical, bl- uh, you know, brick and block work, my main specialty was running heavy equipment and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm no expert. Uh, your members are the real experts, but I have a basic understanding of the work that you all do having performed that work just in uniform. Right. Well, that's, that's good experience for sure. Um, did you ever, by the way, we, we used to talk about that army. Uh, what did they call that huge army truck that you used to like to rent for the parades? Oh, yeah. Some people call that a deuce and a half because it's a two and a half ton truck. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was my, my, my parade vehicle that we used. Uh, a friend of mine owns that and we would drive that. It certainly made an impression. Funny thing is it's a standard transmission and a big old truck. And a lot of my campaign volunteers wouldn't be, uh, all that capable of driving it quite honestly. So a lot of times I would be the one that would have to drive it to the parade route. And then once we get there, I'd say, all right, now keep it under five miles an hour and don't run over any kids. You only need first gear. Yeah. 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 That's a monster. Um, well, I wanted to 
give our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. You're from Copley, uh, Copley, Ohio, correct? Correct. Yeah. Born and raised, uh, right there in Northeast Ohio in Copley Township. And, and, uh, my wife and I just recently moved down to Columbus so that I can be closer to work and get home at night to see the kids. You have two daughters, three daughters, three, uh, three daughters. Yeah, we have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and one that turns nine next week. So we're excited about that. That's cool. Um, and your wife, is she from Northeast Ohio as well? Yeah, Lauren is. Uh, her, her father worked in sales and they lived all over the country, but uh, she spent most of her time in Northeast Ohio, so she considers Summit County home. And yeah. uh, uh, and uh, that's why... Uh, uh, that's why it was a difficult decision for us to move to Columbus, but uh, ultimately made the most sense logistically and for the family. Yeah, I remember you doing a lot of everyday long commutes, you know, three hours in the car every day. So it's, it's a good decision. Yeah, exactly. So growing up, you, you graduated Copley High School, then you joined the Army in 104th Airborne. Uh, how was that? Oh, I tell you, it was a dream come true for me. Uh, I had been mentored by a man who still to this day is my hero. He's in his mid nineties, uh, alive and well, very healthy and happy, uh, at his age. And, and he's a world war II veteran. Um, he was the leader of my boy scout troop. And so as a kid, I got to hear stories about liberating a concentration camp, landing on the beaches of Normandy. I mean, sitting around the campfire at boy scout <laughs> camp, hearing those kind of things. I said, I want to be like him when I grow up, you know, yeah. I want to, I want to do something worthwhile. Uh, I want to do something that really matters. And probably since the age of, you know, 10, 11 years old, I knew I wanted to be a soldier. I think in many ways, my, my, my family thought it was just a, you know, childhood dream and that uh, they, they wanted me to go straight to college after high school. But I knew that, you know, I was looking for something a little different. And so I enlisted right after high school graduation, left for basic training just a few weeks after high school. Um, was uh, assigned to the 101st Airborne Division, obviously a legendary unit, got to deploy with them. Uh, and I, I knew I was right where I belonged. I, uh, I loved Army life. I loved the people I served with. If I get to, you know, I've described it, I got to travel around the world with my best friends, um, mm-hmm. use some of the most amazing equipment humans have ever invented, uh, and do a job that was worth doing and a job that I was proud to do. Uh, people always would say, thank you for your service. I, 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 you know, my smart, you know, wise guy response was, thank you for paying your taxes so that I can do this <laughs> job because I, I loved every second of it. Uh, yeah. I, uh, after four years with the 101st, I was looking for a new challenge though. I, I I'm always one that's kind of looking for the next, uh, the next thing to, to, to keep me uh, challenged and, and on my toes. And a guy from my church, uh, asked me if I'd, try out to become a Green Beret. He, he himself was a Green Beret uh, with 5th Special Forces Group. And he kind of pulled me aside and, and said, hey, would you go to lunch with me after church? And I said, yeah, sure, man. And, uh, and he said, hey, would you, would you consider trying out for it? I think that you'd be, you'd be good. And uh, at the time, I was thinking, you know, I'm a 185-pound kid from Northeast Ohio. I, I, there's no way I could do that. That's Superman kind of stuff. But I figured I'd try and, and might as well at least go to the tryouts. I, I went down there for the 30 day tryout that they have at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And by the grace of God got selected, uh, one of the, the, you know, the small number that gets selected each class and, uh, went, went on to serve on a special forces, a team and, um, loved every second of it. It was the pinnacle of the profession. As far as I was concerned, and, uh, a chance to serve with some of the best soldiers that the, uh, in the world, quite honestly. And when, when did you join the army? 1997. 
97. And then Green Bray was 2001. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, I was going through the, going through the training when September 11, 2001 happened, obviously a day that all of us remember where we were um, and what was going on in our lives. I can tell you that um, it added a, a special new kind of focus because I think all of us knew that when we finished the training, we were going into the fight and um, glad, glad to do so, by the way. Uh, but uh, it, it certainly put an interesting focus on the training that we were undergoing knowing that our nation uh, was at war with a, you know, evil and radical ideology that was bent on death and destruction. Right. And did you seize time in Iraq? I did. Yeah. I served, uh, I served in Iraq. Uh, I got to serve a lot throughout the, the Middle East. Um, as a member of the special forces team, we focus a lot on uh, training and mentoring our foreign counterparts. And so helping to build capacity within our foreign allied militaries. And so, got to spend some time overseas doing that kind of work, uh, Northern Africa and in the Middle East, and then uh, got to do a combat deployment in Iraq, uh, my second combat deployment in Iraq, and, and I'd done one previously in, in Kosovo. Hmm. And uh, really, really cool mission. We were training and equipping an Iraqi police force to turn them into a SWAT team, uh, the, 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 the region's first SWAT team, uh, and they, they wanted to create a tactical capability with, within their police force. And, um, you know, when we first got there, these guys were, uh, you know, they were just normal sort of day-to-day police officers and nowhere near as well-trained as American police officers. Right. But we were able to take uh, take this group of 300 or so, and by the time we were done with them, most of them had quit. So I think we were down to like 75 or 80 that actually wanted to do the work and, and, and do the really difficult work. And, and we were able to turn them into a decent little tactical police force, uh, kick down doors and, and arrest bad guys and all that kind of stuff. And uh, really a um, rewarding experience to watch these men. And in this case, it was all men in Iraq that were doing this work. But to watch these men uh, take on the responsibility of safeguarding their own country uh, and, and the real pride that they took in trying to create a more peaceful environment for their children. Uh, which is, you know, kind of what we all want, right? That's the sure. universal thing is to, whatever we do, uh, to leave it a little bit better than we found it, uh, to, to, to pass on a country uh, that is more secure and more prosperous to our children. And that continues to motivate the work that I do today. Yeah. Well, yeah, everybody wants that. And I don't know, uh, I don't know a society, what, what a society would look like without that, you know, being able to count on order and, and um, you know, safety for your families. Well, and it's one of the things that I point out, I think a lot of times too many of us focus on the differences uh, and there, we all have our differences, different religions, different ethnic backgrounds, different ways of life, different languages. I mean, you can focus on that stuff, but when you drill down into the, the, the real humanity, uh, you know, what really makes us all tick, there, there's some really common things like that. Like we all want our children to have a better life than we had. That's, Everywhere I've been in the world, that's the case. Uh, we all want to, uh, uh, you know, provide a, a stable existence for our families and, and, and some level of comfort as we understand it and, right. and have the basic freedom to worship as we see fit and that kind of thing. I mean, those are just human uh, uh, sort of human condition things that I've seen everywhere I've been in the world. And, and uh, it's, a, it's an important perspective now, particularly uh, as we as a nation are, are wrestling 
with necessary, difficult and necessary questions about equality and, and overcoming racism in this country, which has been, you know, an unfortunate part of our nation's existence, but something that we as a people can continue to, uh, um, you know, work to, 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 to find answers to so that, so that we can fulfill that founding promise of our nation of equality. Obviously, we've always fallen short of, but we continue to work to achieve it, right? And that's, yeah. uh, I think, such a part of the American experience. Yeah, for sure. So when did you conclude your service? So um, I, I decided to get out in 2007 after 10 years. I was looking for a, a new challenge, and I decided that it was time to go to college and earn a degree. Uh, it was a strange experience that, uh, uh, you know, in my late 20s, uh, going to Ohio State and with a bunch of students that were 10 years younger than me. And, right, that would be and, weird. Boy, that, yeah, well, it's kind of how I, I ended up involved in politics, too, right? I, uh, the, My social circle, I was too old to join a fraternity. Uh, you know, I, I would have been the, be the, the creepy guy. guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I decided to, um, I, I met some, some folks that were working on a campaign. It sounded interesting to me. I, I figured, you know, I'd spent, Ten years carrying out the orders that, uh, had, you know, carrying out the foreign policy decisions that had been made by our elected leaders, and I was really intrigued by sort of being able to be part of the process of, of shaping who those leaders were going to be, and um, and plus there was free beer involved. So you know, I found <laughs> out that if I, I found out that if if I came to the campaign office and helped stuff envelopes, uh, and helped assemble yard signs and that kind of thing, that uh, that I could get, uh, you know. Great and some, and some pizza probably, and so uh, you know it became an interest of mine. Uh, I started working on campaigns while I was going to college and earning my business degree and, and, and consumer affairs degree at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got done with with college, I, I figured uh, uh, maybe I should run for office. I kind of had this, this conflict because I I had a business degree in my hand from Ohio State. My head was telling me go out in the world and earn a living. Uh, and live a, a normal existence, uh, you know, after this sort of crazy 10 years in the army and then being a college student. But uh, that's what my head was telling me to do. My heart was telling me to run for office. And I think obviously the heart won, yeah. uh, won that conflict. And I'm glad I did it. Uh, I, you know, I, I left Columbus. I moved back to Akron where my family um, had been for decades. Uh, and um, I ran for a state Senate seat that candidly most people thought was unwinnable. I was able to earn some key support, including groups like yours and, and, right. and many others, and, and kind of won the surprise, one of the surprise races of the state legislative contest in 2010. And there I was as the youngest member of the state Senate and the only veteran at the time. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's uh, been a remarkable journey ever since. And I, I love public service. People ask me, you know, my friends from high school, they say, how do you like politics? And the honest answer is I, I, I don't like the politics. The right. Politics is the job interview. The politics is what you have to endure in order to do the job. The job is public service. The job uh, is, is serving the people of Ohio. Um, and if you're good at, at, at the politics part, you can get elected so that you can do the, the part that you're really there for. And that's the public service. Sure. Well, before we get too far beyond your background, um, I wanted to ask you about that mentor, that um, that Boy Scouts mentor of yours. What was his name? His name is Bill Miller. Lives in Fairlawn, down in Summit County. Uh, still active with the Scouts. In fact, uh, Bill went to Normandy last year wow. um, for the 75th anniversary. Of course, he was there. He was there on the first <laughs> the first run, uh, but he, he went back for the 75th anniversary. Led a group of Boy Scouts, showing them. Uh, 
the places where he landed uh, there on the, on the beaches and, and all of this, just an, an incredible man. And, and, uh, still works, uh, still works out. He, he's got a, a reduced client list at this point, but, uh, he still does his, his work as a financial planner. Uh, and, uh, he, a real mentor. I mean, again, you know, the guy in, in his early twenties, um, helped save the world from an unimaginable evil. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he personally liberated a concentration camp. Uh, in fact, it's hard to tell the, the exact chronology of this, but we believe he was one of the first American officers to, uh, to liberate a concentration camp. And um, he tells the stories that are just terrific. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons why he's started in the last 10, 15 years talking a lot more about his time in the military is because he started to hear about people denying the Holocaust and, and he mm -hmm. started speaking out and, and going and, and talking to college students and talking to, you know, classes of, of students and, and saying, no, this is something I saw with my own eyes. And, and, and people have to understand uh, that that kind of evil exists in the world and, and, and what, um, you know, what people can be capable of so that we can prevent that kind of thing from ever happening again. And so, uh, it just, I can sit and, and listen to his war stories uh, at any time, and I've heard most of them. Uh, but uh, he's an amazing guy and, and a true American hero that lives right there in our midst in, in Summit County. Yeah, wow. People like that are, are what make this country great. Absolutely. What a privilege no to, uh, to to sit and listen to him. Well, and after he got after he finished his time in the military, and he, he became a, a full colonel, uh, had a remarkable military career. I moved back home to Ohio uh, and started working. Uh, but his real passion was mentoring young men through the Boy Scout program. And so longtime Boy Scout leader. Um, and as I like to say, Bill Miller has a thousand grandsons because I think all of us sort of that, that had the chance to, to be a member of his troop and to learn from him kind of consider him a surrogate grandfather. And uh, I'm just blessed to be one of them. Yeah. How cool. Um, I wanted to ask you then, so you got elected in the Senate in 2000. Uh, you started serving in 2011, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Sworn in in, two, sworn in, in 2011 and, um, you know, spent eight years. Got to work on a lot of things, including, you know, serving uh, uh, on the Transportation Committee and as, as eventually as chairman of the Transportation Committee. I worked on a lot of construction-related issues that we worked together on, but then um, – uh, I think one of the real focuses I had was elections issues. I, right. I helped, uh, I helped do the, the uh, reform that we finally got done a few years ago to change the way that Ohio's district lines are drawn. Um, and a lot of the other improvements to how we run elections in Ohio. And now it's a privilege to get to sort of implement those as Ohio's chief elections officer. Of course, uh, we also, in the secretary of state's office, I serve as the front door for any new businesses in the state. And, uh, that entrepreneurial spirit is something that really inspires me and, and, and motivates me. And so people begin that entrepreneurial journey at our office. I think of my great grandfather, um, you know, 80 years ago, starting our family business, this Italian immigrant that just had a, a dream and a work ethic and, and, and made a, made a business out of it. Uh, but that for him began at the Ohio secretary of state's office all those years ago. And now I get to help uh, people that are looking to begin their entrepreneurial journey as well. It's something I, I, I really love about the job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. Um, so how do you approach your job as a public servant? I mean, it's very different. I, I assume as a legislator, as it is for, um, as a secretary of state, but are there common threads that, that flow through both jobs? 
No, you're right to mention, I mean, you know, one, a legislative position, the other, an executive position. I've, I've got a, a much bigger team that I'm responsible for and, and that they're taking care of, and, but also that they're performing at a high level for the people of Ohio, because that's what, uh, that's what we expect from, from the team. Um, but I think it's got to start with a sense of mission. I kind of tend to view everything through those lens. Why are you here? What are you here to do? Right. Uh, and in the Secretary of State's office, uh, it's easy to, to stay focused on the, the two things that we do because they're two things that I'm really passionate about. You know, I always joke that the average person doesn't realize that your state has a Secretary of State. And, and so right. when I tell people I'm the Secretary of State of Ohio, they, they ask, are you, what are you in charge of negotiating peace with Michigan? Uh, <laughs> I, obviously, that's not the power that the Ohio Constitution grants me. And as a proud Buckeye, I would never negotiate peace with Michigan. But uh, what the job is, what, what what I am responsible for in this office is two things that are really foundational to our way of life, two things that are fundamental to what it means to be an American and, and to be an Ohioan. Uh, the opportunity to start and grow a business begins at the Ohio Secretary of State's office, uh, and the chance to be an active citizen in our democracy uh, is, is something I'm responsible for. So a civic engagement and free market uh, economics uh, are, are two things that I care about or uh, you know, my kids made it real simple. They said, Dad, your job is to help everybody vote and, and help people start a business. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's it. And so right. when that's, that's the mission that, that, that I have and that my team has, uh, it's easy to stay focused on what we do. We help people vote and we help people start businesses. And every day, if we're doing that, uh, and if we're doing that efficiently uh, and securely and safely for the people of Ohio, then uh, job well done. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the redistricting legislation that you sponsored in the Senate – has that actually been implemented and has it made changes? Yeah, so the the, um, the way that we draw a district line has always been the subject of a lot of controversy. Every 10 years, whichever party has the right majorities gets to draw the lines, and, and, and it's been used by both parties to their own political advantage over the years. Um, I always thought that, it, that we should have a more balanced process. I mean, I think that the, the fundamental problem with the old way of doing it is that it was kind of a winner take all proposition. If you were the, if you were the party in charge, you drew lines that benefited you. And, and that was just sort of the way it worked. Um, the problem with that is that it didn't meet the expectations that Ohio voters had. The citizens that we serve found that process to be, um, you know, um, suboptimal right. to say the least they yeah. didn't like it uh and, and it comes from you know this basic understanding i think we all have and, and and you know when we studied civics or social studies and how democracy works is should be the voters picking their politicians uh, but with that process every 10 years the politicians kind of got to pick their voters right and that just doesn't sit well with people so it was time to reform that um but it has to be done through the constitution because the way that we draw lines is laid out in our founding document in the Constitution. And so what I pushed for and was able to get done uh, was two separate constitutional amendments that went before the voters as a, as a ballot issue. And um, they passed with overwhelming support. One had 70% and one had 75%. And, and very seldom can you get right. anything on the ballot where you're going to get 70 or 75%. You can't get 75% to agree on what day of the week it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, that was, uh, I think, uh, a strong statement that the people of Ohio wanted this process to be reformed. Um, the next time, and so what they did is laid out the new way to draw district lines for the next time we do it. And that happens to be next year now. 2021, we'll draw okay. new district lines based on the 2020 census. Now, 
um, and, and the pitches, please make sure that you answer your census questions, fill out your census, because, uh, you know, the saying I've been using is if you're not counted, you don't count. Those those numbers help dictate, uh, you know, how the district lines are drawn. And, and so uh, we'll be doing that next year. But finally, for the first time in state history, um, we will have a balanced and bipartisan process if we carry it out correctly, right? Because it's up to us to now carry that process out faithfully, right? Um, consistent with what the voters told us. And they told us at a high, high number that they want us to do this in a balanced way. And that means that compromise is not a dirty word, right? It's sure. Compromise is how statesmen and women solve problems in a democracy. And that's exactly what we'll do if I have anything to say about it next year when we sit down. And I'm part of that seven-member commission uh, that will, um, you know, that'll be drawing the lines. Uh, in most scenarios, the congressional lines, there's a chance for the state legislature to draw them if they can do it with a bipartisan majority, but if not, then it'll come to us as well. Got and it. so uh, we'll carry that process out next year. And so uh, watch for watch for more to come on, on how we redistrict the state of Ohio. Yeah, that's exciting. And, um, and, and certainly a little bit, I'm certainly a little bit anxious about it, given the, uh, the limitations that the pandemic has put on the census. Um, and I hope yeah. that, I hope that that's going well, but what is there in place at the federal level to make sure that it has gone well? Well, and so that would be a census question, not a not a, a great area of expertise for me. But sure. we have a body at the state level that's called the Complete Count Committee that is effectively the state government entity designed to help the, the census get their job done. Uh, and you're right; it has gotten a little bit more complicated in that uh, you know there, there there's the component of the census that involves uh, paid census takers going door to door. Uh, but that's always meant to be kind of the plan B or the plan C, right. actually, because what, what, what's supposed to happen is that uh, you respond to the postcard that you get in the mail. You go on the website. This is exactly what I did. My wife and I sat there one night after we put the kids to bed with our laptop and we we answered the questions uh, and completed our census that way. If, if you don't do that, then they mail you something. You can return it by mail. And if you don't do that, then they got to come knock on your door. So. Save them the trouble. Yeah. Don't make them come back on your door. Fill out the web form. Fill out the, the, the mail that they sent you and and, uh, and complete the census. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, that's, that's huge. And, uh, you know, what a bad year for, uh, for a pandemic during a census. <laughs> during a census, during a presidential election, uh, there was supposed to be an Olympics this year yeah. and, and everything else. But, you know, my, my focus is uh, obviously making sure that we have um, – fair and a uh, uh, accessible election this November. Mm-hmm. And that means that we give Ohioans the same three choices that they've always had, by the way. And, and we'll get into that more here in a minute. But uh, my, my, my thoughts are also with our small business owners and, and, and business owners of all sizes and our employees. I mean, the people that are out there that have been economically impacted by, by, by this pandemic uh, and those that have been impacted by the health implications of it, uh, uh, a good friend of mine who I served with in the state Senate just announced on social media that a family member of hers had, had, had died from the disease. And it's, um, you know, um, it's a serious matter and, and something that none of us should take for granted. No, for sure. Well, uh, on the positive side, I see that um, the controlling board gave your office uh, the authorization to send out a vote from home request forms to every Ohioan. 
Yeah, that's it. And this is part of that three-legged stool, as I call it. Uh, you know, in Ohio, we've got a lot of choices. And this is something that puts us ahead of other states. Uh, something that maybe we take for granted because it's been the, the way that we've done elections in Ohio for close to 20 years. Uh, but Ohioans have, for those couple decades now, uh, had the chance to vote by mail if they want to uh, for four weeks. Uh, they had the chance to go in and, 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 and uh, do early voting at the Board of Elections or at their early voting center, which includes, uh, you know, evening and, and weekend hours. Um, we're one of only five states in the nation that has the opportunity to vote on a Sunday afternoon. And a number of faith communities have embraced that as a way to get people to, to, to go vote after church. And that's a great thing. Uh, and then if you don't take advantage of the four weeks of early voting or the four weeks of vote by mail, and you can you can vote in person on election day, and so those all of those choices that we make available to voters in Ohio has made us better prepared than most states to deal with the, the challenges of this pandemic. Now, as you mentioned, um, we're sending out an absentee ballot request to every registered voter because we want as many people as possible uh, to vote from the comfort of home by mail. It's a safe and secure process. You can track your ballot so that you know that it was received at the board of elections. A lot of people don't realize that just like you track a package that you order online, you go to voteohio.gov, you know when the ballot's going to arrive at your house, you know, once you mail it back in, you know that it's been received and it's under the secure custody of your board of elections. And so um, it's a safe and secure process and we want everybody that can to vote by mail. Uh, we want people that, that choose to, to, to vote early and then we will have in-person election day voting available too. I think one of the challenges, though, that we face, and, and really the, the reason I'm driving down to Cincinnati right now, is we need to recruit a large number of poll workers. And yeah. Then, you know, this is something that people shouldn't take for granted either, because 35,000 Ohioans are needed to staff the polls on election day. Mm. And there's no secret, uh, a lot of them are older that have traditionally done this. Uh, it's time for us to recruit a new generation of poll workers. We need patriotic Ohioans that care about. Uh, the democratic process to to, uh, to sign up to be to be poll workers. You'll be trained by your county board of elections. They'll pay you for your day's work. It's not a ton of ton of money, but they'll pay you for your day's work, and they'll assign you to a location probably close to home, uh, definitely within your county. And um, you know you'll be doing a very important job. The, the place to sign up is voteohio.gov/defenddemocracy. I chose that. That website address very intentionally, voteohio.gov slash defenddemocracy, because when you sign up to be a poll worker, that's exactly what you'll be doing. And we need you now more than ever. I'm heading down to Cincinnati to highlight a, uh, a business that is giving their employees a, a paid day off to oh, go wow. be a poll worker. Yeah. And so that's something that we're encouraging uh, you know, every Ohio business to think about. Yeah, for sure. And, and so including your members, Tim, if yeah. you Anybody listening is, uh, is motivated to, to do that, please contact our office. Uh, you can email me personally. It's just frank at ohiosos.gov, frank at ohiosos.gov, and, and we can work with you. But, uh, you know, we call it uh, a day for democracy, give a day for democracy. And, and so if you are willing to give your uh, your employees a, a day off, or even a paid day off, if you're so willing uh, to go be a poll worker, it would be a great thing. And Badly needed. Uh, again, we need 35,000 Ohioans to work the polls on election day. And so we're doing all we can to get them signed up right now. Right. And and that makes me think of uh, something else that, and I don't want to get too, too um, political with you because, you know, this is not what this podcast is about, but sure. it's your job to make sure that, that our elections go as well as possible. And 
So I imagine you you want people that believe in the system and don't think it's rigged, or if they think it's rigged, maybe be a part of it to make sure it's not rigged. Um, you know, just this whole idea of of our elections are getting rigged. What what's your yeah. stance on that? There is an incredible human capacity for creativity when it comes to inventing conspiracy theories about elections in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not based in, in any reality. Uh, now, we do know that there are foreign adversaries that are trying to cause Americans to distrust our elections, that are using social media, uh, that are trying to plant news stories that are fake, that are, you know, we know that that kind of thing is going on. But when it comes to the actual counting of ballots, when it right. comes to the tabulation of those results and how those results are, are reported, that process is highly secure. And a lot of people don't realize all that goes into it. Even reporters, by the way, we started doing election 101 training for reporters because the journalists I know, they care about getting the story out there and they care about getting it right. And But most of them aren't elections experts. They've never worked behind the counter at the Board of Elections. And so uh, we've been training reporters to understand the process so that they can report more accurately about it. But if anybody has any ideas out there about, you know, thinking that there's all these problems with elections yet, consider signing up to be a poll worker. What you'll realize is that it is a well-thought-out process that is overseen by bipartisan leaders uh, in every step of the way, even down to the way the buildings are designed. A lot of people don't realize this. You go to a board of elections, there are two locks on the door. Hmm. People wonder why. Well, it's kind of like those submarine movies from the 1980s where it takes two keys to launch the torpedo. Right. Uh, the door, the doors of the Board of Elections have a Republican key and a Democratic key, and nobody goes in unless members of both parties are present. So the rooms really? where the, oh. the voting, oh yeah, absolutely, great idea. The rooms where the sure the rooms where the voting machines are stored, the rooms where the ballots are kept, there have to be members of both parties present uh, before anybody goes in that room. Uh, even the fact that the machines are never connected to the internet. This is probably one of the most common myths out there is that somebody could hack uh, or, or tamper remotely with the, with the results of the election. Mm-hmm. The machines are, are, first of all, they're certified at both the state and federal level before they're bought, but any piece of electronic equipment can be tampered with, right? So right. how do we prevent that from happening? Well, first of all, they're never connected to the internet, uh, and, and it would be a violation of state law to connect a voting machine to the internet. Um, they are stored, as I mentioned, under double lock and key, under surveillance in a room where uh, both parties have to be present before anybody can go in there. They are subjected to what's called a full logic and accuracy test. It's just a battery of tests that they do before each election to effectively make sure that the thing's working as it should. It's reporting results accurately and that kind of thing. Uh, there's a paper trail for every ballot that's ever cast. And uh, mm-hmm. what that means is that when you cast your ballot, it's recorded not only in the electronic memory of the machine, uh, but also on paper. That gives us the chance to go back and, and do a post-election audit. And that's another part of the process that people don't realize is that a few weeks after the election, we do a complete audit uh, that allows us to kind of balance our checkbook and make sure that the, uh, that the results were reported accurately and uh, we find uh, that they, they are. Um, and so, you know, all of those steps along the way, uh, make it such that if anybody was engaging in any scaled level of, 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 of fraud, anything that, that you know affected more than just a, a handful of votes, it would be immediately evident. Of course, they would be prosecuted as a felon, um, and, and their conspiracy would be uncovered pretty pretty quickly. Uh, what what that means is that voters should be confident that when their votes 
vote is count, vote is cast, that it is counted accurately, and that what they see on election night is the results that we report uh, is the true will of the, the people of Ohio. Again, uh, that bipartisan oversight of the process is something that truly is a remarkable success story. I mean, it feels like in Washington, Republicans and Democrats can't agree what day of the week it is. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, it's really dysfunctional in a lot of ways, right? But it's your county board of elections. You've got Republicans and Democrats that come to work every day together and do this really difficult, logistically challenging, complex, and high-stakes important job. And they do it together as a bipartisan team. And by the way, I'm here to tell you, I've been to all 88 county boards of elections. They get along well. They're friends. They work well together. They're, they're they believe different things and support different candidates in their personal time. Right. And they, they may have a, a Ronald Reagan quote on their wall or a John F. Kennedy quote on their wall, or they may have a, an elephant on their desk or a donkey on their desk. But otherwise, there's really no partisanship at the Board of Elections. It's just a dedicated team of people that care about running fair and honest elections, and, and, and it's my job to support them. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Um, just a couple more questions. I know you're, you have probably other calls to take. Uh, but I noticed that there are currently 7.8 million registered voters in Ohio. Is that up, down, historically? Is that roughly even? How does that compare? You know, uh, there have been some challenges this year because the voter registration drives a lot of times that are conducted on college campuses or at state fairs or county fairs or whatever else have, have, have been interrupted by the, by the pandemic. But I'll tell you that Ohio has... Um, a high uh, voter registration rate compared to other states in the nation. That's something that we're proud of, and, and we want to keep that up. Ohio offers online voter registration. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, other than signing up to be a poll worker, if there's one other thing that I hope that, that folks that are listening to this take away is get registered to vote. Uh, if you're not already, please go to voteohio.gov. It just takes a minute. Now, if you're thinking, well, I've been registered to vote since I was 18, Make sure your address is up to date. One of the biggest mm-hmm. problems that we have in the voter registration system in Ohio is people that don't keep their address up to date and they move maybe just, you know, a few blocks away or within the same town and, and, and they don't update their address. And so uh, it really can impact if you're voting on a local school levy or a city council race or a, even something like a, a local liquor option to determine if you're going to allow a, a, a local business to have a, a liquor license. That kind of stuff is very local down to the down to the actual neighborhood. And so uh, you got to make sure that your address is accurate and, and, and so that you don't have problems when you go to vote uh, on election day. Go to voteohio.gov. It takes you like two minutes to make sure that your address is up to date. Right. And think about being an evangelist for voter registration. Because again, everybody listening to this is active and engaged. I'm sure they, they, they've, they've been voting all their lives because they know how important it is to their industry and to their communities. Um, but think about two or three young people in your life that turned 18 in the last couple of years. Right. Have you taken responsibility to personally get them registered to vote? You should. Uh, believe it or not, I've got two little brothers that are in college. And um, when they both turned 18, uh, I put the voter registration form right there in their birthday card and then made them <laughs> fill it out as they were laughing at me. But now they can do it electronically. And again, voteohio.gov is the place to start. It only takes just a few minutes to get registered to vote or to help a young person that you know that that, uh, that just turned 18 get registered to vote. Sure. And the last thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, something that's been in the news most recently that I've seen with Kentucky, uh, before that with um, um, Wisconsin, 
the number of polling locations in light of the pandemic. Yeah. How are we how are we dealing with that? Well, that's why I was talking so much about poll worker recruitment, because how many polling locations we can open is directly tied to how many poll workers we can recruit. Mm -hmm. Normally, in the state of Ohio, we would have close to 4,000 polling locations, and they would be staffed by over 35,000 Ohioans. Um, that's a big lift for any election, but particularly when we've got a pandemic that has a disproportionate impact on, on senior citizens. Mm -hmm. Um it's causing us a challenge with, with poll worker recruitment. And so it's unfortunate that, um, you know, my friends on the other side of the aisle, so to speak, have uh, recently tried to play politics with this. The Ohio Democratic Party was saying that, that I, as the Ohio Secretary of State, wanted to close polling locations. That's the furthest thing from the truth. I want to see every polling location open that's possible. Mm -hmm. What I've been saying, though, is the very blunt and honest, um, assessment of if we don't have enough poll workers, we will not be able to open polling locations and that's a problem, right? And, mm -hmm. and so we want to open every polling location that we can, but if instead of 35,000, if we're only at 20,000 poll workers, well, do the math. There's a certain number of polling locations that just will not be able to be open because there's nobody to staff them. And is that uh, determined by to, each board of elections? Is that is that where that's and, based? And that's, Okay. And that's the other part of this. And, and it's a completely bipartisan decision at that county board of elections, right? So your county board of elections is two Democrats and two Republicans. Um, and they are appointed uh, by myself at the recommendation of the county Republican Party and the county Democratic Party in each county in Ohio. And um, if there is, and let's try to let's try to prevent that from happening, but if there is a need to consolidate polling locations, that will be a bipartisan decision by the county boards of elections. Uh, what I'm trying to, to push them to do is to make those decisions as early as possible uh, so that we can keep people well-informed and uh, make sure that they know where they're going to go vote on election day if they go to vote in person. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, th that's what we face. Uh, we were, I talked a lot with my counterparts in other states. Uh, in fact, we have a, a weekly um, uh, Zoom call that we do. It's broadcast on the Ohio channel. And we share it on our social media platforms, but it's called the Ready for November Task Force. And this brings together, I mean, our mission is exactly right there in the name, to be ready for November. We bring together elections officials from all over Ohio and, and also health experts and, uh, you know, other experts to, to sort of share ideas. And we have a weekly conversation about how we're going to be ready for November. Last week, we had an elections official from Kentucky, Newport, right across the river from Cincinnati, sharing their experience. And they normally would have 600 poll workers. They were only able to get uh, just over 50. The wow. decision was made to have one polling location for the whole county. Now they did it like at the convention center. So mm. it was big, wide open area. We, you know, that was the decision they made in right. the compressed timeline that they had to work with. Um, we want to avoid that in Ohio. We want people to vote by mail. That's why we're sending out 7.8 million absentee ballot requests to every registered voter. Uh, we want Ohioans to take advantage of that. We want Ohioans, if they if they want to go in person and vote, we want them to take advantage of the early voting that runs for four weeks leading up to the election. Uh, but if they want to vote in person on Election Day, I want to make sure they have that option. But we have to recruit a lot of poll workers to make it happen. And again, voteohio.gov slash defenddemocracy uh, is how we do that. And uh, that's what we're working on every day. Yeah, that's critical. I mean, this is so important. Absolutely. People have faith no in the whole democratic it. process, you know. I've been to places where they don't, right? And, um, and 
developing countries where people don't trust that elections have consequences, sometimes they turn to violent means. And we don't ever want to go that way right. in our country. We want, we want people to know that their voice will be heard at the ballot box, that that's how you really make a difference. Um, and, and, you know, protest is wonderful. Uh, it's part of our, our tradition. Uh, it's part of our American experience, and we value free speech. Uh, but I've been telling people, if you're going to the protest, but you're not going to the polls, you're skipping an important step. Right. I mean, you know, you, you can protest all day long, but if you don't vote, um, you're not really making a, the, the tangible difference that you can make by actually being a voter. And so that's why, uh, you know, if people are, are interested in, 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 in seeing a government that reflects their values, they need to vote. And, uh, yeah. and that's exactly what my job is, is to make sure that their voice is heard. And whether I agree with uh, the candidate they support or not is completely irrelevant to me. Uh, it, my job is to make sure that the voices of the people of Ohio are heard in a free and a fair and an accessible election. That's bigger than party. That's bigger than politics. That's my duty. That's my obligation uh, as your secretary of state. Absolutely. And I was, you know, before we started recording, I said, I think you might be the, the most important, if not one of the most important uh, elected officials in Ohio this fall for the next few months, given the importance of this election and the unusual circumstances that, that we have that you're working under. So oh, we appreciate everything you're doing in that in that respect. And I know you, you'll do your best. You'll live up to Bill Miller's uh, mentorship that he invested in you. And we appreciate all you're doing. Well, thanks for saying that, Tim. It's an honor to serve. Um, millions of Ohioans have placed their trust in me, and I'm going to do my level best every day to, to do the job as well as I can. But it's um, like with anything, you, you win with a team of people. Um, and um, we've got an excellent team at the Secretary of State's office that shares my sense of mission. Uh, and we've got excellent teams at our county boards of elections. And, and uh, uh, you know, together, uh, along with hopefully 35,000 Ohioans that work the polls on election day, uh, we're going to deliver a, a fair and an honest election for the people of Ohio. And when they wake up on uh, the morning of November 4th, uh, they'll know that their voice is heard the day before and uh, we'll move on as a country, whatever the choice is that the people of Ohio make. That's right. Well, thanks again, Frank, and uh, safe travels down to Cincinnati and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you, Sam. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.